Howdy. You all right this morning, family? Good. It's good to see you. I'm Josh, one of the ministers. Welcome to Clear Creek. If we've not met, man, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for giving us a chance, just an opportunity to get to know you. And um, after we're done with this gathering, we have Bible classes for all ages, teens down this way, adults this way, and all the high energy little bitties this way. So we hope you'll stick around. And if you're uh, If you're someone who's like, man, I'm not sure about class, then come see us out in the lobby. I'd love to say hi to you and get to know you. All right, grab your Bibles. John chapter 21, John chapter 21. We're in a four-part series called What Now? Looking at the moments after the big moments of life where we're tempted to coast, tempted to kind of just go because that's just what we do. And looking at what our Savior says to those of us in the what now moments. Here's a what now moment that I experienced about 20 years ago. And I don't know if you have certain moments in your life that you look back on as pivotal moments that really was an idea shifter or maybe it was a relationship help. But I was reading this book that had been out for a number of years at the time, and many of you probably have read it as well, but it was by best-selling author Stephen Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. By the way, how many of you even know what that book is? Anyone in here? How many of you are honest enough to say that you've not actually read it, but you know what it is? Anyone else here? Yeah, it's a great book, though. I'd encourage you to read it. I was in college, and I was reading this book, and I came to the second chapter, and even the title just sort of grabbed me. I was like, I'd never thought about this before. The title was... Begin with the end in mind. And, you know, it's just a very simple title, very simple idea, but it's one that I had not considered, although it's, it's just sprinkled throughout Scripture. And, and I love how Covey did this. He began this whole conversation. He says, I want you to imagine something. He begins to paint this picture. He says, imagine that you roll up to a funeral home and you're dressed to the nines, maybe in a suit, or if you're in the South, maybe it's just blue jeans, we don't know, but you come in, your version of good-looking, And you walk in and you see the somber faces, you hear the organ music, you hear the chit-chat of people talking, and you go grab a seat. And as you look at the program, you notice that the name on the program is your name, that you are the person that everyone is there gathered to remember. And he says, now imagine over the course of the few minutes together, four different people get up to speak, someone from your family, maybe it's your spouse or child, a parent a relative. And then the second person who gets up is a close friend, someone that uh, you spent a lot of time with growing up. Maybe you did time with this person. Who knows how close you are with this person, but a good friend. And then the third person who gets up to speak is a coworker, someone you do business with. And fourth and finally is someone from your church community. And he asked this very, very important question, one that has just sort of rocked me. He said, in that moment, at the end of it all, what would you want them to say about your life? Like, what would you want the defining words to be at the end of your life? Would it be that your friend talks about the time that you caught that really big fish? Is that what you want? Is it the fact that your kids talk about how you spent all your time building a really big business? What is it that at the end of the end that you would want to be the defining word for your life? And the call would simply begin with the end in mind. And no, that's just the demons in the baptistry over there. Just pay no attention to it. But this idea of beginning with the end in mind is not unique to Covey. 
It began actually 2,000 years ago on the side of the Sea of Galilee there next to a roaring fire after a breakfast of fish and bread when Jesus looks at a man named Peter and in his own uniquely Jesus way, he brings Peter and the rest of us to this question, are you living with the end in mind? And if not, today's a great day to start. And so we begin in verse 18 and verse 19, two short verses. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, he's talking to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, and I want you to say these two words out loud with me. Are you ready? Follow me. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come into the space this morning, we recognize we don't come in to invite you in here, but you're already in this room. You're already soaking the cosmos with your presence. As the psalmist says, where can I go that you are not already there? What a peace-giving statement that is, that wherever we are in this moment, in this morning, you are already there, both physically as well as emotionally. If we are in a place that is joyful, you're there. If we're in a place that's emotionally dark or sad or just hurting, you meet us there as well. We thank you. And as you meet us here, as you did our brother Peter, will you give us through these beautiful words clarity for how we can end in a way that we are excited about and you celebrate. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so this is not the day that Peter expected to have. In fact, the day hasn't happened at all how Peter expected. Now, let's remember the, sort of the setting here. Jesus is risen. He's no longer in the tomb. He is risen. He has appeared to his followers, not once, but now twice. The problem, though, is Jesus appears and then disappears. And so the apostles are not real sure what to do in this season, especially Peter. So what does Peter do? He does what I do, maybe what you do when you don't know what to do. He goes back to what is familiar. He goes back fishing. The problem is it's not going how he expected either. He has spent all night on the Sea of Galilee and he has caught nothing, not a bupkis. And so he is feeling frustrated. Can you imagine being on the boat with Peter when he doesn't catch fish? Some of you guys have Peter-like friends and you know that when you're around them and they don't have things going the way they want, they get a little frustrating to be around. And so it's early morning now. They've been fishing all night. And finally, some loudmouth on the shore says, Hey, why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? Because, of course, that's going to make a big difference, right? And we don't have what Peter said at that point. And again, it's probably a good thing it's not in the scriptures. But they throw it over on the other side and they get a catch of fish. Not just a small catch, but like a catch a fish. It's one of those that you write down. In fact, we're told it's 153 fish. It was that epic. They wrote down how many they got. And it's in this moment that Peter realizes the one on shore is not just some expert fisherman, but he is the fisher of men, Jesus himself. So Peter dives into the water. He swims to the shore. And when he comes up, he comes face to face with Jesus Christ, nail-scarred hands, scars on his head where the crown of thorns had been, and there's a fire and there's fish. It's been roasting over the fire and there's some warm bread. And Jesus says, why don't we have a conversation? Come on, let's eat. 
And there's this beautiful moment where Peter now sits with the one that he denied and the one he denied invites him to the table. Let's just pause right there. Every one of us through sin has denied Jesus Christ and yet Jesus Christ has invited every one of us to come back to him. And so Peter is enjoying a day that he didn't expect to have, but it is exactly the kind of day that Peter needed. It's exactly what he needed. See, Peter was in a what now moment. Maybe you've been in a what now moment. You want to know what a what now moment is? Say yes. Yeah, what now moment is the kind of moment. It's one of two kinds of moments. It's a moment where you just don't know what to do. It's also the moment after all the big moments, right? It's the day after Christmas. It's the day after Easter. You've still got the Christmas wrapping on the floor and you're kind of going, all right, what now? Right? As a kid, you almost feel depressed because the big day's over and it's like, what now? It's the day after Easter. Yes, Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Why now? And for a lot of us, you've been in what now moments. In fact, life is full of them. So for some of us, it's really good moments. Like it's the day after the wedding and you wake up on the honeymoon. You're like, what now? It's great. Or it's the day after your child is born and the nurse hands you the baby and says, go home. And you're like, what now? You're not sure what to do. And then it's the day after the graduation party and you're like, what now? I've got to get a job. I've got to go be an adult. I don't know what to do. What now? So some of the time it's really big, fun, exciting what nows. And let's be honest though, there are a lot of what now moments that are not really exciting or good, are there? I mean, it's the day after the divorce is finalized. It's the day after the dream career dies. It's the day after the funeral of a loved one. And you sit in that space and you just kind of go, I don't know what to do now. So for anyone who's ever been in a what now moment, I want you to sit now with Jesus and understand he's going to give each of us what to do now when you're in the what now moment. As we've talked the past few weeks, first thing Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, come just eat with me. Just come have a conversation with me. Take a load off. The God who started the universe spinning is still in charge. He holds it in his hand, which means you don't have to be God in this moment. You can sit, you can receive from the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you come, you eat with Jesus, spend time with him. When you don't know what to do, spend time with Jesus. The second thing he says, and we talked about last week, is start right where you are. Just start here. Some of us are not where we want to be, but God never works with us where we want to be. He only works with us where we are. Start where you are. And now he's going to say, and begin with the end in mind. Don't wander aimlessly You have a vision for where you are going. Oh, you don't have a vision? Well, let me give you a vision. You see, Peter had a vision for his life. The problem was it was not God's vision for his life, was it? He had started his life and he had lived to the best of his ability on his own terms. By the way, anyone else in here kind of like living by your own terms? Anyone else in here honest this morning? You kind of like to do things your way? No one else in this room is honest. Fantastic. You're leaving your preacher up here like... All about you. Yeah, right. Every one of us, we want to do life on our own terms. You want to know how I know? Just ask your family where they want to go to lunch and hear the fight begin. Hey, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to do this. I want to do that. 
Peter was living life by his own terms. This is what Jesus meant when he said, Peter, when you were a young man, you went where you wanted to go. You dressed yourself. You did your things. It was all about you. Now, I don't know if Peter did it on purpose, but let's be honest. It's just sort of in the air that we breathe to do things our way. Can I get a wink from anyone who knows what I'm talking about here? I mean, come on. Marketing is all about what you want, right? When was the last time you watched a commercial that said, we don't care about you, do something for us? <laughs> no, it's all about me. And so Peter had lived his life according to his rules, according to his terms. And frankly, because that's what everyone else does, he was living like the rest of the world in default mode. You understand there's only two ways to live, right? You can live by default or by design. And Peter had been living by default. Yes, he followed Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I'm with you to the end, Jesus. Oh, wait, there's a little problem. See you. The default mode is the script every one of us was given when we were born into this broken world. Default mode is look out for you, do what's best for you, go with the flow, figure out what's comfortable, live the American dream. By the way, what does that even mean anymore? But default living does not bring us to God's best. Design, you want to know what design life looks like? Jesus gives it to us in the next verse when he says, glorify God. He says, this is the kind of life you're going to live. And this is the death you're going to have to glorify God. You say, how is that a designed life? Here's why. When you hear design, some of us think, oh, I'm going to design my ideal life. I'm going to have the car of my dreams, the house of my dreams, the wife of my dreams. And if she's not good enough, I'll upgrade her in a few years. I'm going to have the kids of my dreams. I'm going to have the job of my dreams. Friends, that's not a unique life. That's the default normal script. That's the default way to live. A designed life is not that you get to design your ideal life. A designed life is living life according to God's design. And his design for every one of us, whether we know him or revile him, is to glorify him, to say, all of me is all for you. From my first breath to my last, you are the one who gave it. All I can do is return it. That is a designed life. And so Jesus now says, Peter, you're starting where you are. And hey, look, we know you've busted things up. We know things aren't how they are. But notice the next verse he says, but there's coming a day where you're not going to get to choose where you go, what happens to you, but you will go and you will have me on your lips. And even in death, as painful as this death will be, you will be so sold out to me because I am your designer, your maker, your God that it will be, bring glory to me in the way you've lived and the way you die. Begin with the end in mind, Peter. Can you imagine the number of times, Peter, for the next few years, <laughs> thought about that? I, I, this, this moment happened somewhere in the early 30s, anywhere from about 29 to 34 AD, we think. Peter ends up dying under Caesar in Rome. He's crucified upside down somewhere in the mid-60s AD. So somewhere between 30 and 35 years later, Peter dies. But it wasn't the first time he was in peril. Do you remember the time he was in the jail there 
giving testimony to Jesus. His friend, a fellow apostle, James, has been executed. And God, by his mercy, delivers Peter. But Peter didn't know that was going to happen. Do you wonder if in that moment he heard the voice of Jesus? Is this that moment that I give my life for him? I wonder about the other times where he traveled around Asia Minor and how he was sharing the gospel in the tight spaces he was in. How many times did Jesus' words that you will not end easy, but you will end for me, how many times did that come to Peter's mind? Can you imagine how that must have clarified the moments of his life? Because he said, Jesus said, my death will bring him glory. That is the end. So I am beginning with that end in mind. Every moment, every day now becomes a mission point to do what Jesus called him to do. See, I think so many of us, if I'm being honest, if you're being honest, I think so many of us are living by design or by default, not by design. But the truth is that we don't get to decide when life ends or even how life ends. By the way, how many of you would like to be able to design how the end of your life happens? Anyone else in here? Like, I'd like to have a great steak meal. I'd like to hang out with my family. I'd like to go lay down, fold my arms after reading the 23rd Psalm, right? And then take me home. And when he does, I'd like to be personally escorted by two different angels, Gabriel and Michael. Let's just, you know, you guys bring me up. The door's open to heaven. That's how I'd like for it to go. Anyone else kind of dig that plan? I mean, come on. We don't get to decide when or how. Here's the good news. We do get to decide how we live until that point. We get to choose. Does my life go towards the default of this world or do I live by design saying glory to God in all that I have and all that I am? There's a moment some years ago in 2000. In fact, I've got a picture for you. This is A terribly grainy picture, but it's a terribly grainy picture of a big moment that happened in 2000. This picture was taken at a conference in a large field about five hours from here in Shelby, Tennessee. It's just near Memphis. And that weird sort of gray mass that you see in the background is actually about 40,000 university students who gathered on the wet grass in the rain to hear the word of God. They were hungry for Jesus And the man that you see here is Pastor John Piper, and he shared what has become one of the most famous sermons over the past 23 years. And in it, he began to tell them these stories, and I just want to share a little bit with you. He began by telling the story of these two women that their church knew about. And he said that they had recently died in a car crash. This is what he said. About three weeks ago, we got news that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in the West African country of Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse who poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. And the second lady, Laura Edwards, the medical doctor from the Twin Cities, was also pushing 80. In retirement, she partnered up with Ruby, going from village to village in Cameroon. But one day, the brakes on their car gave way, Over a cliff they go, and they're gone instantly. And then John tells the crowd that he had shared this with his church the Sunday before, and he'd asked his church this question, is their death a tragedy? 
Two women whose whole lives devoted to one idea that Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most American counterparts had retired, these two women fly into eternity. Was their death a tragedy? And he said the entire church said no. Because they had begun with the end in mind so that when the end came, it was not tragedy, it was glory. Because life had been about one far greater than the mere things of this life. And then he turned to the sea of 40,000 students and opening a note card from Reader's Digest, he says, let me tell you what a tragedy is. And he said these words. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when, they, when he had retired at 59 and she was 51. Now they lived in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. And looking out over this crowd, he says, that is a tragic life. Can you imagine the moment when you enter into glory and you tell the Lord, Look at my seashell collection. See, one person lives by default that says, this is the script we're given. And friends, it's not your fault. It's not my fault that we were given this script. It's the script of a broken world that says, it's all about me. It's all about you. But he says, there's another script. It's the divine script that you were designed by God to bring glory to him. And he says, this one, this one brings life to the soul and life to the world. It gives honor to the God who created you and exalts the one who saved you. There is the default life and there's the designed life. Which life do you want to lead and which life do you want to leave? Begin with the end in mind. Now, if you're like me, you go, oh man, that's heavy. What do I do with this? Because I want that. Does anyone else want a life that matters? Does anyone else say it's too short, eternity's too long, life's too short just to waste it on trinkets? Anyone else hungry to be about more? If you are, he gives us the answer. He said it in the previous verse, in fact, when he tells Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my people, love one another. What was it that Jesus was asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Like if you were to rank all the things God says are important, what is the biggest of the biggest? And do you remember what he said? Love God and what? Love people. Love each other. Now, I wish Jesus would have given us a little easier job than that, don't you? Because sometimes people are not easy to love. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? Any of you have children? Any of you married? Any of you wish you weren't married? No, don't do that. Okay. We all have people who are difficult. Yet Jesus says, you want to know what life by design looks like? It's love me. It's love each other. Lay your life down. So how do we do this? I love what Jesus says. He gives us image over image throughout his life. And I think we can distill it down into two things. One statement. Here's the one statement. At the end of your life, the only thing that will matter is who you love and who loved you back who you love and who loved you back. So how do you love people? Let me share with you two things. Number one, you got to say it. You got to say it. You're like, that's it? No, that's hard for some of us. Anyone else in here um, verbally challenged? Like some of us, words are hard. It's like the old story of the woman who looked to her husband and says, you don't tell me you love me anymore. 
And he says, I do too. I told you when we got married, if anything changes, I'll let you know. So for some of us, it's hard to say, I love you, but friends, you want people to know that you love them, start with the words that come out of your mouth. Tell them that you love them. It's very simple. In fact, repeat after me. I love you. Congratulations. That is the first time for some of you in decades. Next, your job will be to say it like this to the person next to you. Do it later today. You tell the person that you love them. Why? Because you do. And because your words create reality. They're the most powerful thing in creation. You say, I think that's overselling it. How was creation started? With the word. And all of creation has been changed because of it. Tell those you love, friend, may the last words on your lips at night be, I love you. May the first words in the morning be, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It should be, I love you as well, and then I'm sorry, right? But may it be, I love you. And to your children, may there never be a moment that your children wonder, do you love me? May there never be a moment that your brothers and sisters in Christ wonder, do you love me? When you have that heated conversation that has to happen, and there are those that must happen because you love the person. But in those moments, may it never end with vile vitriol, but I love you. May the words from this church, may the people who spill forth be people who are known by the words, I love you. Because when God wanted to let us know his thoughts towards us, he sent the word himself to say, I love you. And then the second thing we do to show people that we love them is you don't simply say it, but you actually show it. Let me give you some very practical tips. Number one, men, take out the trash. That is your wife's love language. She may not tell you that, but that is a love language. Any lady in here want to say amen to that? Pick up after yourself, like put it in the hamper. It's not like a general zone. It's not like here's the hamper, it's the bullseye. And if you sort of get around it, you're still, okay. no, in the hamper. That's, I love you. Share what you have with someone else. Find an excuse to inconvenience yourself to convenience someone else. Ask, how can I help you? And then do it. When someone is brokenhearted because they just lost a spouse or a friend, go sit with them. Don't talk, just be present. One of the greatest gifts I've received from some of you is your physical presence. See, as followers of Jesus, at the end of our life, if you want a life that brings glory to God, you give to God your glory by loving him and loving others. You say it and you show it. We show it by what we do. One of the people that has shown his love more than anyone else I know is a man named Junior Grimes. He was one of the elders at the church I served in Nashville. There's a picture of him from a lot of years ago. Junior is one of those guys that if you needed it, he would do it for you before you even asked. He was the kind of guy who showed up when no one else would show up. He was the first to arrive, last to leave kind of guy. I remember when I got the call in 2012 that he'd passed away. I was on vacation with my family at the beach. Left them there. I went back, did the funeral, came back, got them. And while I was on my way, I, I called one of the people who was there who found him. I said, so tell me what happened. And he said, it was the most credible thing, Josh. Junior, the day before he passed away, one of his neighbors had a tree fall in his yard. So what did Junior do? He went over with a chainsaw and he helped cut down this guy's tree. He was stacking logs. You go, man, that's a great way to go out. But wait, there's more. 
After that, he made some visits with different people who were sick or in need. And then he went home. He had a meal with his sweet wife. He sat in his favorite chair. In fact, I've got a picture of the chair, I believe it was. This chair right here, this is a few years later, right before he died. He sat there and he watched his favorite team, Vanderbilt. Now, I pray for his soul for that one reason alone. But he loves Vandy. And so he's sitting there, he's watching Vanderbilt sports. He passes away in his sleep. The next morning when they find him and they're kind of going over things, they found in his breast pocket a check that he had written out to a single mom in the church that he was going to go deliver because she was in need of some extra finances. And he didn't have two nickels together. Friends, the way we know that God is in us and the way that we live a life by design is I say, my life is for you. Your life is for each other. It is not just for me, me, me. It's for thee, thee, thee. And I do it by loving you and you loving one another. This is what we're called to at the end of your life. All that will matter is who you love. And number two, who loved you back? Our time is short, so I'll just end it with this. We could talk about the family members. Do your family members love you? Do your kids love you? Do your relatives love you? Do your friends love you? Do your church members love you? Do your coworkers, all that? That's fine. Those are great questions. Here's the one question and the only question that ultimately matters for eternity is do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? That God himself squeezed into human form For if he came on a mountain in fire and thunder, it would scare us and drive us from him. So he came as one of us, so we'd be drawn to him. He came as a baby. What is less threatening than a baby? So that you and I would know that you are loved from before time began. God created creation with you in mind. If you were the only one in all of creation who needed saving, he would have crossed eternity to save you from your sins. He loves you. You say, how do I know that is true, Josh? Because the Bible says so. For God so loved the world. Change that word. For God so loved you that he gave Jesus. How much would it take for you to love another person to give your child away? God says, when the day comes that you wonder, am I loved? Look at the one that I sent to pay for you. At the end of it all, it's not how you die. It's about who died for you. That matters. So friends, if you're in a what now moment, begin with that end in mind. Who do you love? And do you know that Jesus loves you? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. They are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of your very self. They have intrinsic worth Lord, I pray that you'll help us not to live by default, just doing what the world does, but by design. And Lord, there are people in this room who, if they were to die today, are not with you. They have chosen other things. I pray that they will choose today to say yes to Jesus, putting you on in baptism. Father, eternity is too grand and too great, and you are too good for us to play with small things in this life. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are just brokenhearted because of a loss of a loved one or because of a situation they're facing. And we ask 
that you will come alongside, that you will be the God who brings a seat up and says, sit with me now, friend. Start where you are and begin with the end in mind, for it is glorious and good for all those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.